Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Here in the studio tonight, it's Ian and Reed Coverdale. You've been pretty busy over the last few days uh, going and doing the politics thing, hanging around icky politicians like Don Bolduck. He's the uh, the right-wing quote-unquote Trumper or something that's running here in New Hampshire for U.S. Senate against the current incumbent, who's also bad. You know, they're all bad, Democrats, Republicans. There's uh, a decent person running as a libertarian, Jeremy Kaufman, and we've talked about some of his really creative advertising uh, that he's been doing that has been getting a lot of shares uh, on the internet, unfortunately, it hasn't persuaded anyone in the mainstream media to give him any kind of fair level of attention. And so I presume that was what drove you to go and attend a Don Bolduck event. Plus, Tulsi, your old pal, mm-hmm. uh, was in town. You used to be a Tulsi fan, and then you kind of changed your mind. Why don't you take us back to when you were like behind Tulsi some years ago and sure. what happened what were your what your evolution was from there yeah well i don't think there was much of uh, there's been a little bit of an evolution but i was a rand paul supporter in 2016 and that kind of turned me into more or less of a libertarian were you a ron paul libertarian before I rand just missed it oh okay <laughs> i was in high school uh senior year when ron paul was running in 2012 and i remember liking him just cuz mm-hmm. he seemed like a down-to-earth straight shooter but it was like a couple years after his run i started thinking about all the stuff he said and you know kind of internalizing the libertarian message what would how would um, you have described yourself in 2012 oh i was a well 2012 i was barely starting to snap out of it but in high school i was a total neocon okay um i mean my parents actually were anti-war conservatives mm-hmm. but when i was in high school i was trying to just reestablish myself in some strong conservative evangelical roots or something I and i was just <laughs> i was a huge mike huckabee fan in oh middle school and then uh early high school i was listening to ann coulter and that i mean she's gotten a little less awful lately but back mm. then she was they, just absolutely well the terrible. republicans always get yeah. a little less awful when they're <laughs> out of power right exactly yeah. so I, I was just absolutely terrible um but then ron paul kind of snapped me out of it a little bit because mm-hmm. i started Rewatching all the debate moments in like 2014 after the election was already over and then i started paying attention to his son and then i got way into his run for president and mm. that was just which didn't disappointing. last long yeah, it was, wasn't he the first to bail out like he was I the think first he was candidate the very to just fir- call or the first like yeah. one who made it on the debate stage at yeah. least i'll give trump a little bit of credit he seemed to be and this isn't saying a whole lot considering who he's compared to, but right. he seemed to be less warmongering than his recent predecessors, Obama, yeah. you know, Clinton, uh, George Bush. He didn't do as much. He did withdraw some troops from Afghanistan. He yep. didn't get crazy and, like, start new conflicts generally, and even some things, like, he even tried to make peace with North Korea. I mean, yeah. that that was, to me, like, shocking. Yeah. No one has ever tried that, and since, that hasn't happened at all either. Yeah, I was actually talking about that in a live stream I did today because I was very critical of Trump in 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, yeah, he said some good things here and there, but I was like, man, this guy's insane, some of the stuff he says. But then he got in there and I realized, oh, he's just like every other president. Mm-hmm. But then the stuff with Korea happened. And I don't know if everyone remembers, but we thought we were on the brink of war with Korea mm-hmm. one week and then the next 
you know, right. remember he called him Little Rocket Man yeah. or something. Yeah, and... like saying we will ray down, you know, hellfire upon you or whatever and make, you know, destroy you. And then like a week later, they were meeting each Hanging other. Hanging out, having dinner. And, and I was like, yeah. this is amazing. I can't yeah. believe this is happening. And to me, it was the best thing he'd ever done. I agree. Yeah. During his presidency. I think that's And true. he got dragged through the mud for it by mm-hmm. the media. They were just like, oh, he's a dictator lover and i was just like what are you talking yeah, about this is how the best dare thing you? he's done <laughs> like yeah they were so incensed that he dared to just talk to this guy yeah you know which had never happened in the yeah. history of north korea ever since uh kim jong what was it not Un or Ill. Ill. the guy before him the uh the grandfather yeah, kim il sung that yeah, was yeah. his name the uh the god had basically yeah. of of uh, north korea ever since that guy you know created north korea essentially the u.s has just kept as far away from there as possible and so just yeah he deserves credit for that yeah for sure but all that to say like uh she was the only one who was to our side of him on foreign policy you know like everybody else was just awful so campaigned for her um and then yeah she obviously ended up endorsing him in the end and then since then like i i just kind of who did she endorse biden okay yeah sorry that him that pronoun wasn't very descriptive um but, you know, ever since that, like, she occasionally says stuff I like and then says stuff I don't. I mean, it's just kind of hit or miss. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Well, she has no principle. So then she announces last week or whenever it was fairly recently that she's no longer going to be a Democrat. She came out against the warmongering left and didn't say she was going to join the Republicans, which, of course, they're full of warmongers as well. And then strangely decides to team up with this general, this Don Bolduc. And, you know, normally I don't want to talk really much about new hampshire elections because i I think most people don't care about them but tulsi's kind of this national figure so it's kind of interesting seeing what she's doing here and people are claiming this don bullduck guy was cozying up to the libertarians uh as he was trying to get through the primary here in new hampshire and sadly he beat uh bruce fenton who was an actual free stater an actual like principled anti-war uh, pro-liberty guy bruce unfortunately it was his first run for any kind of office and he went big right like when you normally when you run for office the first time you don't go for u.s senate but he did and you know he right. kind of jumped into the deep end and he had an amazing campaign i think he said he put like 85 bitcoin into his campaign which oh, wow. is some number of millions of, mm-hmm. of dollars uh and you know he had a lot of signage and had a lot of great appearances surprisingly the media actually talked to him which was really the best part about his campaign was he ended up in debates with uh with people like this but he didn't make it past five percent uh unfortunately so bulldog took the day and he's now the republican candidate for senate here in new hampshire and so they're trying to cozy up to the libertarians to try to you know court their vote because they know that the incumbent is she's she's tough to beat right like she's a former governor here in new hampshire uh she's been in this position for at least six years i think at this point after she was done with governor she went and she ran for i believe she ran for for u.s senate at mm-hmm. that point and so you know she's gonna be tough to uh, to unseat and so they know they gotta they gotta get the libertarians to not support the libertarian and and support don bolduck so they were trying to you know get cozy with them and I don't know how the the message got out that this guy was in any way, shape, or form anti-war because all you have to do is just listen mm-hmm. to what he has to say. And you've got a clip here that was posted on the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire Twitter, which, by the way, is now the number one state Libertarian Party Twitter out there. That's right. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of a good little uh, trophy. But I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. It's him being interviewed on Fox News about the Ukraine-Russia situation. I don't know what 
February 28th. Thank you. February was when this happened. So before uh, Russia's uh, invasion, we go here with a clip. It's this resistance that's going to win. But what boggles my mind, Steve, is the fact that we haven't gone all in on this already. People that have been in the military will tell you that the generals, these high-level ranks, these are politicians. Yeah. They get to their positions by playing politics within the U.S. military. You know, this guy probably didn't work his way up from a grunt. Right. right? Uh, but even if he did, it doesn't matter because he ha- you have to play politics to get that high. So he's sure. a politician first and foremost. Let me go on with more of this clip. Diplomatically, informationally, mm-hmm. militarily, uh, and economically. This is not a time for pause right now. We need to get in there and we need to help them on Just the ground. Just pause it for a second. This is not a time for pause right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, his Don't instinct think. is go, 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 yeah. get him, get him, get him. You know? right. And he, as he said, he meant militarily, economically, yeah. all of the things that he, you could possibly do. Don't think about it. Just do it. Drop some bombs. Kill some people. Occupy the territory. Let's have another 20-year war. Yep. We have columns of his troops lined up, ready to be, you know, interdicted. And we need to give that kind of help to the Ukrainians. Let's pause it again. So we have columns of his troops lined up. He's Ready about, to be interdicted. That he's means let's about, drop some bombs on those Yeah, he's people. talking about Putin's troops. you got all the tanks and infantry right. and artillery all lined up. Let's airstrike them. That's, That's what, what he's, he's saying. saying. Yep. Putin is a global threat he is an enemy to the world and that's what we have to start telling people he is and we can't take any pr- do you believe that a threat to the world yeah no i mean but he's big he's got nuclear weapons i mean he's scary yeah i mean the thing is i realize nato and the united states have pumped a ton of weapons and money into ukraine but even so i mean he can barely take eastern mm. ukraine at least at the rate that he's going, you know, I mean, he's probably not going as hard as he could, but still like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a massive chore for him to take just Eastern Ukraine. Right, They're having to call up the reserves. Yeah. I believe their plan was to call up at least 200,000 reservists. Right. So the idea that if we don't stop him here, he's going to end up on our doorstep. I mean, it's <laughs> laughable. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Well, it, yeah. I mean, to us, it's laughable, but this is the old claim, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, if we don't get involved and preemptively strike, then, it, you know, America's freedom is going to, to go away. It's the thing they said about terrorists. If we don't fight right. them over there, we'll fight them over here. It's literally the same thing. Same kind of fear And I mean, if people knew some of the stuff, like the people, the, the guys who wrote Project for New American Century... They ended up being the, I think it's the Foreign Policy Institute that pushed for all this Cold War mongering with uh, Russia. They're the same guys who pushed for the Iraq War, mm-hmm. and then they were the architects of pushing for the uh, this war we're having with Russia now. So same people, same strategy. The proxy war that uh, that is being had right now. Uh, we're going to continue here with more of this clip because there's plenty more of this a-hole has to say. Pressure off China either. we got to go after China because they're in this right. with them. Oh, okay. And- Let's yeah. just spread the international <laughs> conflict to the other big bad yeah. out there, the other nuclear power that's, Yeah, you know- this conversation had nothing to do with China. They had him on to talk about mm-hmm. Russia, and he says, oh, by the way, we also have to go after China <laughs> so they don't go after Taiwan. Like, dude... <laughs> I mean, Just, it, it was bad enough to see what happened with the supply chain during COVID when a lot of Chinese factories shut down. They weren't producing what they would normally produce. I'm pretty sure there are still some issues with uh, products coming from China in a, in a quick manner. But if you go to war with China, that's all going to end. 
More with this psychopath. We don't want them going into Taiwan. So this is huge. And we got to come together. We got to lead the world. No, no, we really don't. don't. (laughs) We really don't. And Switzerland, of course, proved this, has proved this for I don't know how many decades or whatever. How long has their position in Switzerland been to be neutral? A long time. And they've proven that you don't need to get involved in any of these conflicts. And that it used to be sort of the whole founding father's vision was to stay out of this stuff right to not get involved in entangling conflicts i believe that was was that washington or jefferson one of it was one of those originals Mm -hmm. they got it they understood that and that's been lost for a long time ever since at least world war one we go on in in supporting uh president Zelensky and supporting the ukrainians and what we have been doing now is just standing by there is more to do. We can do it, and we should be doing it. So let's just be really clear what you mean there. Again, limited time, so I'm, I'm sure we can't be an exhaustive answer. Right. But what specifically? You, you don't, you're not talking about um, American troops. I think everyone's agreed about that. How can we help specifically? No. What should we, we have, do that we're not doing? We that? have indirect fires. Oh, sure, Steve. We have indirect fires. We have indirect capabilities. So does NATO. We have all kinds of things that we can be helping with without having to put ground troops in there. And that's what he's asking for. And we have to get uh, more stuff in there. And Okay, so he kind of backtracked there when the host clarified, you know, kind of led him into this question instead of at the very beginning. He's just, let's throw it all in. Let's let's go in hot, mm-hmm. you know, hot conflict. Let's fight it out with Putin. Now he sounds like he's backtracked it slightly by acknowledging, oh, yeah, yeah we don't want to send our troops in there, but there's all these other things we can do. Well, he says he doesn't want to send ground troops in, like infantry. Mm-hmm. Right. But then Jet, uh, air, airstrikes. Yeah, but then fine. he's fine Drones. with indirect fires mm-hmm. and sending in special operations and CIA. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to send the army in but he's willing to fire directly upon russian troops well so. i suspect the cia is is still there right like oh they, yeah the, the, they've the, been spotted there right well what they several times they said that it was a cia or it has been said that the cia was what set up this current government there in 2014 oh yeah yeah and if you go on his website he also wants to go after rogue nations like north korea and iran wow so even china and russia is not enough we got to go after That's all nuts. of them and then People try to say, well, he's softened on his position since he made those statements. But if you go and look at his websites and if you listen to his speeches, which mm-hmm. I just did on Sunday, his only criticism of Biden is his lack of strategy. Mm. And if the lack of strategy is that Biden wouldn't you know, make indirect fire on Russian convoys or put mm-hmm. uh, special forces on the ground or whatever, you know, because that's what he was criticizing Biden for back in February... And that he wouldn't, you know, go hard enough and put enough sanctions on. That was all of his criticisms leading up to it. That's his only criticism of Biden. It's he hasn't suddenly said, oh, we need to de-escalate tensions. He's just said that there's no strategy with Biden, with Russia or China, that we need a strategy. And we've seen what his strategy looks like. So not a good idea. We go on here. There's just a little bit more of the clip with him talking to Fox News earlier this year. And then we'll get into his appearance with Tulsi Gabbard. More than one of them. We have apparently. to get more uh, more combat uh, help in there. We can do that. I, I know we can do it. What I've is, seen what, it done be, before. Sorry to interrupt. What is combat? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What is combat help? Just so everyone's clear what you mean that's well, not troops. Good question. Sure. Um, 
we, well, you know, you got to get the resistance, the stuff that they need. But more importantly, you know, we're going to have to help this resistance out. And I talked about this earlier with, uh, with um, you know, General Kellogg uh, on Fox and Friends on an earlier program about CIA findings and about using special operations troops. And that is the end of the clip. So special operations troops. He doesn't yeah. get into what, you know, we don't have the whole, I don't know how long this interview was, but uh, Twitter restricts you to two minutes and 20 seconds. But I think he, uh, you know, he, he made it pretty clear what he wants to do. Yeah. And, and then after this whole segment, um, Corey Lewandowski, who's a Trump advisor and the, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, let me find it here. And then Jennifer Griffin, who's the Pentagon correspondent for Fox News. She had to go on the record and say that um, his... <laughs> His statements are so crazy mm. and so wild and do not represent the Department of Defense or the Pentagon in any way. And if we actually were to put special forces on the ground or to fire upon Russian troops, that that would cause escalation yeah. that they don't want at all. And then Lewandowski, who's a former Trump advisor, he said this should disqualify Baldick from ever being a u.s senator wow <laughs> so when the pentagon and a trump advisor yeah, you're too are extreme. both like whoa dude <laughs> oh, <laughs> chill man. out a little bit you know it's bad you and some other libertarians showed up what was it a few days ago in manchester I think? on sunday in brentwood so brentwood there was okay. a town hall that was advertised they've been going all over though yeah yeah, yeah. and uh i've i had been to a baldic event a couple weeks prior in Keene. And I actually sat down next to his wife, who mm-hmm. was a very nice woman, and talked with her. And I had actually tried to get him on the podcast because I oh. asked her if I could get him on. And she said, yeah, I'll see if he'll do it. Um, and then I got in touch with the media team, and they just kind of blew me blew off, off for like a week. And then finally they called me and said, hey, we don't have time to do I'm this. I'm surprised they called you. They did. Yeah. Well, I'll give them that much. Okay. Um, and so I, my thought was, okay, I'm just going to have to... They researched you, you know. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I think they did. <laughs> but yeah. my thought was, okay, if I want to ask him any questions, I've just got to go to one of his town halls mm-hmm. and hopefully get called on and then ask him one of these questions. Sure. And so then we find out Tulsi endorses him and she's coming here and she's going to, you know, campaign with him. So we decided, okay, how about Sunday, as many of us who can... We'll go to one of these town halls, and we weren't right. planning to disrupt it in any way, but no, we were we planning to ask, to ask questions, and hopefully multiple of us would get to ask yeah, makes similar sense. questions. I mean, if, if you've you know? got, I mean, the town halls in New Hampshire tend to be pretty intimate. You know, mm-hmm. there's probably, I'm just going to guess there probably weren't more than a couple hundred people at uh, this? There were a lot at this one. There were probably really? 400 or so. Wow. Okay. That's pretty yeah. big. That's pretty it big. It was big. Uh, but the more people you can get in there, the odds are increased that one of them's going to get called on. Unless right. the whole question and answer is completely controlled from top to bottom, and they're only talking to plants and right. pre, pre-screened questioners. Which... To Tulsi Gabbard's credit, when I was on her campaign, she would always answer any question asked, and she okay. never cut anyone off, even if they were going on for wow. like three or four minutes asking a question. Okay, so I will give her that for. So I figured, okay, if I mean this isn't her campaign, it's Baldic, so it might, it might be completely different. But if anything is the same, then they'll definitely uh, ask questions. So anyway, like twelve of us, I think, got together uh, about an hour before the event. And we went over and started trickling in and sat in different seats to try to not make everything super obvious. And the campaign 
I think he's the campaign manager, recognized some of us, mm-hmm. and he came and sat down next to me. I've never met him before that I know of. But This he, was after you'd already asked if you could interview him? Yes, but okay. I'd never talked to this guy before, gotcha. so I don't know if he knew who I was, but he might have. Anyway, he came and sat down next to me, and he said, look, we're glad you're here, but we're not going to tolerate any disruptions. Mm-hmm. And so I honestly replied, I'm not here to make a disruption. I'm just here to ask questions. And he okay. said... Okay, well, there will be a Q&A after the speaking part is done. We have Major Payne on the line in Michigan. Go ahead, Major. All right. You remember last night I called you guys and gave you a heads up on that 15 to nothing vote? Yeah, the CDC had voted uh, unanimously, apparently, to mandate that schools have to require the uh, the COVID vaccination. Is that you right? to be part of the part of your school vaccines for you know kindergarten on up i presume that means but, for those schools that are accepting federal government funds which of course is probably 100 percent of them uh the government schools right that now, is. that's probably true but mm-hmm. uh the San is evidently they pushed some legislation legislation through florida which uh if the cdc does get their way and this thing is mandated will make it null and void in florida and i guess there's a few other states that have this in the works mm. But okay. as you stated, I would assume that that means they're going to have to give up the federal purse strings. I would presume so. And I hope that they go to, you know, move forward with that. I mean, DeSantis is a scumbag politician just like the rest. Uh, but, you know, every now and then a scumbag politician is right about an issue. So if they're nullifying well, on this issue, then good for them. He's, he's been bucking the pony on this whole vaccination business the whole way, the lockdown and whatnot. I mean, Greg no, Whitmer, he wasn't doing that the Whitmer whole way. I understand well, that that's Whit- I understand that's the mythology around him. But DeSantis locked down. DeSantis was in favor of masks for a time, and then he realized that it would be more popular if he would be against the masks. So he he flipped. I I think the only place he locked down was that one giant old folks village, is like ten miles. They locked there. down the whole but, state. There was a story early on about how the Florida Highway Patrol was literally blocking interstates. Just trying to keep people from other states out, yeah. trying to keep everybody out the freeway. Uh, blocking people from coming into Florida. I remember reporting on that in well, March that or whatever, bad. March, April, somewhere in that range of uh, 2020. He still wasn't nowhere near as bad as Whitmer here in Michigan. Sure, I'm sure you can. Yes, you can compare evils and you can say that he was a worse or a better cancer than the other 40 cancers or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's all we're talking about here. So, what well, was your point about you. the CDC? Just you just wanted to, you know, praise him for nullifying no, I on this. Just, I just wanted to say that at least somebody's trying to stand up to these clowns, you know. So, yeah. like you say, you got to take the good where you can find it. And yeah, uh, there's not a whole they, lot. They might all be evil, but you'll survive a cold. You won't survive the plague. There's variances of evil. I wrote a Substack called "Desantis the the Rights Obama." Because I I look at them as two very similar figures. You know, you had Barack Obama, who was right about one very important issue. And it's not to diminish the issue at all. It was the Iraq war. And he wanted to, you know, he was against continuing the Iraq war. That's how he ran his campaign. He also (laughs) said he was against uh, Guantanamo Bay. Oh, yeah. He said all sorts of things. (laughs) Yeah. But then... You know, if you looked at his record before he was president, you could see that he wasn't going to be a good president, mm-hmm. even on his junior senator voting record. You were like, whoa, this guy isn't going to be anti-war. He's not going to be pro-civil liberties. Right. And you have the same thing with DeSantis. You know, he was good on this one issue. But if you look at his congressional voting record or even his 
gubernatorial voting record or, you know, what he's done as governor. He's an arch statist. Yeah. So, I mean, people falling in love with someone over one important issue is just it's never good. Uh, So back to what we were talking about, which was Tulsi Gabbard, who had uh, been noteworthy in her semi-anti-war stance, and at least anti-some wars, uh, who has come out and left the Democratic Party, made a big deal about that, and Mm -hmm. good for her. You know, the statements she made were fine when when that came to, you know, what she did. But then she goes and she appears on the same stage and starts going on a tour with this General Don Bolduck, who's a psychopathic ex-general who is uh, basically advocating for a hot conflict with both Russia, China, and even more of the uh, the big baddies all around the the planet. And we played some of the clips earlier about that. You went to a uh, an event where they approached you. Apparently, the campaign manager approached you and sat next to you for a moment and told you, "Hey, you, you can be here, but you just we don't want you causing a ruckus." Mm-hmm. And you said you weren't there for that. You just wanted to ask a question. He promised you there would be a Q and A. I think yeah. that's where we left the story off. Yeah, so he promised us there would be a Q and A after uh, you know they both spoke, and so I said, "Well, we we don't have any intentions of speaking." Until then, mm-hmm. or I, I didn't even say we, I just yeah. said I, I was just speaking for you myself. You can't speak for anyone else. Uh, you know, and, and he said, okay, well, there will be a Q&A. And so um, Tulsi came in and spoke. Now, is it then, true she was 45 minutes late? Oh, yeah. Okay. Which, having worked on her campaign, you know. Believable? That's, yeah. That was kind of the, her MO. Um, but uh, she spoke for about 20 minutes, and then he spoke for about 20 minutes. And Wow, that's like blissfully short for a political speech. You can't trust a word that comes out of these people's mouths. You know they're going to say, like, even if you do get to ask the question you want to ask, they can say whatever they want. I mean, if they lie to you, there's no punishment for them. Yeah, you can hold their feet to the flames later if they get elected and they go and they do something opposite from what they say. But they're already elected at that point. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if they lied to you. But still, it is interesting to get it on the record and, and confront somebody with their hypocrisy or whatever. So what would you have asked had you actually been chosen to, to ask a question at the end of the speeches from Tulsi Gabbard and this psychopathic general? Yeah, well, I was expecting they'd both be standing up there. And so I would say I campaigned for Tulsi in 2020 because even though I had some major policy disagreements with her, she put foreign policy at the forefront and said she wanted to end these stupid, wasteful wars. So why should I vote for you, General Baldick, because you want to wage stupid, wasteful wars? Mm-hmm. And then I had a copy of his transcript that we were playing earlier of his From Fox. You know, on Fox News. And then uh, Lewandowski saying that he should you know, not even be considered for U.S. Senate in the future. And the Pentagon saying that his inflammatory statements were too, you know, too, uh, too aggressive for them. Mm-hmm. So. I was just going to put it right to him. Like, what am I missing here? If if I'm in the wrong here and I'm missing something obvious, please tell me what it is. But I don't understand this. Uh, and then a bunch of people were going to ask those same basic questions. And the other thing we we're going to ask, because Tulsi was kept out of the debates in the Democratic Party. Okay. Um, they kept putting arbitrary rules to keep her from being allowed in. Just like they're doing with Jeremy Kaufman exactly. and uh, Carlin Borshenko here, the libertarian candidates in New Hampshire. Exactly. So yeah. that's what we were going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Do you think, you know, just like you were disallowed to debate, even though you qualified, don't you think it's unfair that they're doing it to libertarian candidates 
And like you said, it doesn't matter what they say. But it would have been an interesting. That seemed like a pretty softball question, anyways. Yeah, I mean, sure. why wouldn't she say, "Yeah, that's unfair"? I mean, even Bolduc has He's said it multiple times. Yeah, even Bolduc apparently has gone on record saying he thinks that they should allow Jeremy to debate Jeremy Kaufman, the Libertarian candidate, right? Uh, who is running against him? So if he gets any credit at all, it's for being willing to say that. But saying something isn't the same as doing something. She spoke, and then he spoke, and then she got up on the stage with him. And we all figured, okay, this is when the Q&A Q &A. is going to start. And then they both waved and just said, bye. Oh, wow. And they went off the stage and into a lobby mm -hmm. nearby. So we all quickly gathered together and we wanted to just, and we weren't going to do anything threatening or sure, imposing, but we just all wanted to go up at once. Be like, hey, we're anti-war and you were like better than everybody else in 2020 on the war stuff so why are, are you, you doing this? endorsing this guy yeah. are we missing something here you know um and as we started to enter the room they both waved and were like bye and went out the back door and wow. so that's when carlin started yelling this is carlin borshenko she is the libertarian party new hampshire candidate for governor uh, and she said she was, I think, the closest to them or something like that. So she felt like she had to get, you know, had to get something out. So yeah, uh, she she what did she yell like a question at him or something? Yeah, she just yelled, "Tulsi, why are you supporting a warmonger?" And Short so and sweet. then all these Baldic supporters swarmed her. Oh yeah. And so the rest of us didn't start yelling, but we just figured, oh, we'll just get in on the conversation. So. I actually had this guy get right in my face, and it was funny. I, I've got video of this. I mm -hmm. was standing in the same spot the whole time, and he kept getting right up close oh, to yeah. me. And then he even said, "You might want to step back, buddy." Like yeah. you're getting in my face. And I was like, "Dude, I didn't. You didn't move. I anywhere. didn't move at all." And That's he, so common, by the way. Oh yeah, people do that all the time. And he was a uh, Tulsi supporter from 2020. You remembered him? I don't. I don't. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't know him, but. He was saying, anyone that Tulsi endorses has my support. And I was like, wow, okay, well, mindless. what about Joe Biden? And he was like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? A, well, she endorsed Hillary Clinton after yeah. Bernie dropped out. And what? he was like, oh, well, you know, and just kind of walked Why don't you just and... tell us, dude, that you don't think for yourself? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what you're saying. Yeah. So the the uh, Baldic supporters were freaking out, calling Carlin Boroshenko like an imposter or something like that. Our plant. Oh, I think well, she was plant. wearing a Tulsi shirt. So yeah. she was yeah, yeah. a plant. So not a plant, but in disguise, you know, a um, few of us were. Did you or someone you love work, live, or serve at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988? If you or someone you know lived, served, or worked at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988 and has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, they are entitled to compensation. To see if they are eligible, they need to call Liberty Legal. Contaminants in the drinking water have led to these serious diseases and legislation is now available for for veterans and family members who may qualify for financial help from the government. There may be a time deadline, so don't wait. Call 888-918-1037. Anyone that has lived, worked, or served at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1988 and has had cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, the money is already set aside. 888-918-1037. 888-918-1037. You went again to attend one of these Boulder events. Now, was Tulsi supposed to be at the other one that you you went to up in the North Country, or was yeah, it just... I went to two more actually. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Uh, so I went to one in Laconia with a friend, um, and was this on a different day? Yeah, this okay. was the following day, and I mean, it was a meet and greet at a restaurant, 
and mm-hmm. there were like 300 people there. Wow. It was this tiny little restaurant, so That's I couldn't crazy. even get inside. Right. Um, And so they wow. give their speech or whatever, and then they're doing pictures. And so my friend worked on her campaign uh, with me back mm-hmm. in 2020. So we were just standing outside like 20 feet away from the picture line, and they're just taking pictures, taking pictures. And then my friend yells, hey, Tulsi, and waves, and she sees us, and then she waves back. Mm-hmm. And then once they're done taking a picture, she runs over and gives us both a hug okay. and then runs back to keep taking pictures. And the the uh, uh, the campaign manager from the day before, who had been really skeptical of me and mm-hmm. like eyeballing me and everything, he was kind of visibly shocked by that whole... That she would pay attention <laughs> that to That she knew who I was and uh-huh. even ran over and like gave me a hug or whatever. But so it wasn't enough time to ask her a question? It wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I also really wanted to ask Baldick the question, you know, because he's the guy I'm trying to expose here the most because mm-hmm. he's the one that people are going to be voting for. Um, so, it, and I, I was planning to go to an event in Conway that night, which was advertised as a town hall, which... At a town hall, you're supposed to be allowed to ask that's the whole questions. Point, that's to the ask whole point. questions. Yeah, so it's, I, a, it's a, like an old New Hampshire thing that's been going on forever here. Yeah. So at that event, I forget it was the political director and some other guy saw me before that whole exchange with Tulsi, and they were skeptical of me again because they'd seen me the day before. Mm-hmm. And I was just walking around outside, and they came up and were like, "What? Uh, can we help you?" I was like, "No, no. <laughs> I'm just here." And uh, I told them, like, I worked on Tulsi's campaign two years ago, so I'm just here to, you know, check out what's going on. And they were very skeptical. So when that whole uh, thing happened where she ran over and gave me a hug or whatever, they were they were also obviously visibly shocked. Mm-hmm. But then uh, that night there was an event going on in Conway. So and I think this was the last event she was doing with him. And I really last wanted chance. I really wanted to put this. I mean, you can all, I can ask this question to him at any time, but mm-hmm. it's perfect with her there, you know, because sure. it's a good juxtaposition. And um, I'm standing outside in line waiting to go in. And so then the two guys who had seen me in Laconia, they come up to me in line and say, hey, can we go talk to you over there? And I said, OK, so they pulled me out. Of li- they didn't pull me out of line. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't touching me, but they, you know, said, hey, come with us. They didn't whatever. want anyone else to hear what they were going to say to you. Yeah, so uh, they said, what are you doing here? And I just said, I'm here to ask a question. You're a person who lives in New Hampshire. You were born and raised in New Hampshire. You yep. have a podcast, so you're a media personality as well. Why shouldn't you be at a political event? They said, we can disinvite you from this if we want to. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you can, but why would you? Like, there's no reason to. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything to warrant disinvitation. And then they said, well... What if we get the general on your podcast instead? Okay. And I said, well, I just told you I've been through this. With, I have his wife's phone number yeah. and I've been in contact with the media team and they called me and said they're not going to have time. And mm-hmm. he said, all right, well, I'm the political director. I can get him on your podcast. Oh, and okay. so we exchanged phone numbers and everything. And I shook his hand right there and I said, all right, if you can get him on my podcast, I'll just leave. I won't even yeah. go in there at all. sounded like a promise to me, Rita. I, mean, I didn't hear the did. actual conversation, but it sounded like he was making a promise to you. Yeah, and he has uh, kept up with me. This was on two days ago? Sun, uh, Monday. Monday, okay. Yeah, and he has kept up with me the last couple of days. Um, but so I've, he's in contact with you. He is in contact with me. him? Yep. Okay. And I told him what I was going to ask him. I said he has, you know, the general has said some inflammatory foreign policy remarks. Mm-hmm. 
and you guys are behind Hassan in the polls, you can't win this election without libertarian support. Hmm. If you want any libertarians to vote for you, you have to answer this important yeah. question. And which, coming on your podcast would be a good way to do yeah. that. And, so. and, you know, if this does pan out, and I have no reason to believe that it, that it will, <laughs> uh, but, but if it does pan out and he appears on Naturalist Capitalist with you, then that's even better than you bird dogging him. Oh, at absolutely! An event. Yeah. Uh, he'll be even more on the spot, and there'll be more people who care who are watching that that particular answer to that question. And it'll yeah. be on the record because you'll get a good recording of it. So I hope that that works out. But Me too. Don't get your hopes up too much on that. It doesn't sound like you are. So if you so. go to a Baldic event, ask him when he's coming on Naturalist Capitalist because he might actually do a Q and A if I'm not there. And there might you call on you. <laughs> All right, so that uh, that takes us up to speed on the the bulldog situation, right? Anything yeah, else? for the most. I just uh, if you want to go to my channel, uh, I did just do a whole episode about this whole thing, okay. like down to why I supported Tulsi two years ago, what I think of her endorsing this guy, and then all the events that took place over the last few days. So go check it out. Check him out at Naturalist Capitalist. He's on Odyssey. You can find Odyssey over at our channel, which is video.freetalklive.com. The latest news, as reported by various different sources, but I always like to go to RT. In this case, I also have the AP story pulled up as well to get the Western uh, propaganda side of things. But what is the RT perspective on Putin, who is now announcing martial law in the four new Russian federal subjects, as they're describing them here in the RT story? RT, of course, is the Russia Today site, RT.com, officially run by the Russian government. Uh, Russia has introduced emergency measures due to the continued threat posed by Ukraine and the need for a more efficient response to it, according to Putin this Wednesday. Speaking at a meeting of the National Security Council, Putin said he had signed several documents detailing the policy changes, reiterating accusations against Kyiv, stating that it uses, quote-unquote, terrorist methods, unquote, against Russia. Ukrainian forces, he said, quote, sabotage crucial infrastructure and stage assassinations of local officials. Just like their ideological forefathers, Hitler's collaborators, they try to create a criminal underworld, send sabotage teams on our soil, he explained. He claimed Russian law enforcement officials have prevented several planned attacks on, quote, mass gatherings, transport and energy facilities, unquote, including a nuclear power plant. Now, whether any of that's true, I have absolutely no idea. But the story has been that while the eastern side of Ukraine sort of tried to declare, at least part of it, tried to declare independence in 2014 from Ukraine, there have been ongoing attacks brought by the government in Kyiv against the people in these areas. And I don't think that that is made up. No. That seems to be pretty pretty plausible, mm -hmm. those claims. Have you been following any of that over the last several years? Oh, Reed? yeah. I mean, so what happened was... Crimea, so a lot of people don't know this, but when Crimea was taken by Russia, no one was killed. A lot of people just don't realize really? that. Not a single person died. Um, it, <laughs> all the Ukrainian forces just left. They left. They left. And since then, it's been under Russian control. Mm -hmm. And then after that, Luhansk and Donetsk held referendums to join Russia. This was in 2014? This is in... I think this was still 2014. Mm -hmm. It was toward the end of 2014. Um, I didn't realize they were to join Russia. I thought they were independence referendums. No, so they were to join Russia. Oh, okay. And then Putin denied oh. their entrance to Russia. And so that... And at that point, they said, all right, well, we're just, we'll be independent republics. Yeah, so said. this is when the war 
between Kiev and the Donbass started. The four provinces had already had martial law in place when Russia accepted their bid, said Putin. The decree, which he expects parliament to ratify swiftly, will give legal basis under Russian law for what is de facto happening on the ground, he said. In a separate decree, Putin ordered a medium action level in several other parts of western Russia. Those include the Crimean Republic, the city of Sebastopol, as well as several other areas. The official or the special regime gives regional officials additional authority to ensure security and rapidly react to any emergencies. The other Russian regions were put at elevated and basic levels, depending on their proximity to Ukraine. Uh, the administrations of the four regions under martial law will have a maximum level of additional authority. The governors of different parts of Russia face different challenges and need different powers, he said, to deal with them. So by no means, you know, is Russia a great free place or a government that should be cheered on or anything like that. I mean, martial law is martial law. And this life has really got to suck for the people in eastern Ukraine right now. They are in this disputed territory where you've got Russia saying this is ours and Ukraine is going to say this is ours and it, this is where the fight is going to, it seems like it's going to be focused. Uh, and that, apparently what they are doing is they're trying to evacuate people. So to to their credit, they are telling people to get out, from what I understand, from these areas. They're they're getting citizenry, if you will, out, uh-huh. expecting that conflicts will be, uh, will be erupting. I'm not sure where they're sending them to. Maybe it's Western Russia or something like that. Uh, further here, according to RT.com, he has instructed the Russian federal government to form a special coordination center for various aspects of the Ukraine crisis, from repairing weapon systems for the military to providing medical treatment to injured people and repairing damage sustained by towns and cities and so on. So they're supporting the reservists by, I guess, giving them a monthly wage, blah, blah, blah. So the rest of it's pretty political, but uh, the martial law thing is very real, and those are experiences people are going to have to deal with there yeah i don't you know i'm 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 grateful that we don't have to deal with that here thank goodness um you know we don't see luckily nuclear war to be on the immediate horizon as long as the u.s can keep it in their pants jamie is on the line to start things out here in i think the huntsville area go ahead jamie what's on your mind uh you always mentioned something about eating bugs Eating bugs. Yeah, well, we didn't cover it tonight, but that is definitely something that has been covered. There's a huge push by people like the World Economic Forum uh, and other big moneyed, big corporate, big government interests that seem to want to encourage people to eat insects. Oh, that's disgusting. (laughs) I suspect that it is. I uh, have not actually tried this. Reed, have you uh, heard anything about this bug-eating push that's going on out there? Do, like, lobsters count as bugs i don't think so then now yeah, i mean i've heard be, about it but i've never tried yeah, we're it. talking about like worms yeah. and crickets and things either. like that i don't think i ever had was uh frog legs yep no that doesn't count either frogs eat bugs right mm-hmm. but, but uh, yeah. that's not the same thing so what when did you hear about this was it on our show jamie that you heard the discussion yep okay so do you know anybody yep. that you think would you know would be interested in eating bugs no, I would not be. No. No, I, I didn't think you would, but apparently what they're trying to do is introduce it into the schools. So they want to get to your children when they're at a young age and tell them that, oh, yeah, this is cool. Oh, isn't it? Oh, it's gross, but it's also really cool because, you know, kids think 
bugs are fun and gross or whatever. Like you're probably more interested in bugs as a kid than you are as an adult. And so they're they're moving into classrooms. They're bringing in these bug eating experts who bring in free bugs uh, for the kids, and they pass them all around. And there's there's video of this going mm-hmm. on. It's not just happening in the United States. It's happening. I saw a video uh-huh. at like a Swedish school where they're uh, they're pitching bugs to kids. Oh, that's that's oh, Do you have any kids, Jamie? Uh, no, sir. Okay. I'm single and no kids. Sarah's on the line. She's in New Mexico. Go ahead, Sarah. Yes. yes. I just uh, want to bring up that um, the United States, um, year, I think per year we kill about one road worker. Why are you killing road week. workers? Well, I don't even have a car. I'm well, so you're going the, out there and you're just shooting them or what are you doing to them? Well, it's the drivers with the cars that speed. Oh, oh! So when so you say we, athlete. when you say we kill road workers, you aren't even a driver. Like even if you were going to say collectively, we the drivers of America, n- not even that we would include you, Sarah. So what you're saying is drivers are killing road workers, not you, right? You never did that. Right. That's you the average. Um, so what is that? So one person averaged out the, every other week. Is that or, or um, about 110? What, what Hold is on, that? there's like 26 weeks. Hold on, there's, the 26 weeks is half a year. What was the original statistic? I've already forgotten it. Yeah, one every two weeks. Okay, so one, that's 26 road, road workers per year, according to you, Sarah. And where did you hear this story? Was it on? That the, doesn't sound like a lot, to be honest. Only 26 per year. Well, you know, I mean, it. If you're look at you guys have this attitude. Well, as long as the road worker is somebody else, that's fine with me. As long as I'm not a road worker, <laughs> who cares if they? No hey, one here said that, Sarah. Like red, red I, mean, I don't know where you got attitude. that idea, but no one here said that. However, I will say I will say this: that jobs are risky especially outdoor working construction kind of jobs. If it's not being hit by a car, which is one of the probably the most risky things of being a road worker, it's getting crushed by construction equipment or whatever. Like there's all kinds of things that can happen when you're on the job. In fact, I believe roofers, if I recall correctly, are one of the most dangerous professions, like way more dangerous than the police, for instance. Yeah. Logging is the Logging most, is number I two, I think, or something. They're up there. Both yeah, of yeah. them are really, really dangerous professions. There's a story over at Reason.com that they had a little while back that I I marked for show prep. And since we've been talking about military people like psychopathic uh, General uh, John Bond, Bond John, (laughs) Don Don Baldick tonight, there's a story here from Reason about the Army spending on things like printers. I mean, we've all seen the stories over the years. I think it was, what was it? They spent thousands of dollars on hammers or something ridiculous way back in the the 90s or whatever there's always toilets whatever they're spending tons of money on well here's the latest example the army has failed to properly account for tens of millions of dollars worth of equipment according to the department of defense's internal watchdog a report released this summer by the dod office of the inspector general detailed the results of a recent audit of military bases in kuwait Specifically, the audit intended, quote, to determine whether the Army effectively accounted for government-furnished property, or GFP. And Mm. guess what? They didn't. The audit focused on two bases, Camp Arifjan and Camp Buering. 
In 2010, a contractor who's not named in the report was awarded a $75 million contract to provide operations and security both uh, to support both bases, including, quote, food and housing, payroll support, fire protection, security protection, law enforcement, and transportation. The contract was extended multiple times, totaling more than $5 billion over a decade. According to the contractor's records, in that time it received more than $108 million in GFP, government-furnished property, uh, from the Army, such as printers, refrigeration units, and vehicles. But the audit found that according to the Army's records, it had given the contractor nearly $157 million worth of equipment. So counterintuitively, despite its dollar amount being about 50% higher, the Army recorded having provided 23000 fewer individual items. The report determined the Army had failed to account for at least 23,374 items. Of the remaining 123,988 items the contractor said they had received, the Army failed to record identifiers like contractor serial numbers on 111, eight, sorry, 111,877 of them. So like 90% of the items that the contractor said they received from the the army, they did not have any kind of proper records. I remember uh, one of our co-hosts, or sometime co-host, uh, Silver Dave, who was in the the military, used to talk about how they would go out once a year and they would just have a whole day, or probably more than one day, where they would just shoot off ammunition. Mm-hmm. And the reason why was because if they didn't use it, they would lose it in the next budget. Right. So they literally just had to spend however many hours it was just blasting away and exploding this ammunition so they could get more. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of a, a myriad of similar stories. The report warned that lax record keeping on the part of the Army risks leading to theft or loss. In one cited example, quote, we found that one of the printers in our sample costing $408 was located at the contractor's staff apartment outside of Camp Arifjan without the Army's knowledge. Normally, removing the government property from the base requires the approval of the procurement officer, but due to the Army's lack of accountability and oversight of location, the relocation of the printer went unnoticed. Overall, for just 61 items audited, the report found a discrepancy of more than 65 million dollars these issues aren't new and not isolated to the two bases in kuwait in fact after discovering the 12 printers listed for over a million dollars each the inspector general determined that throughout the entire u.s army there were 83 printers listed for that price the article sort of focuses on these printers which were allegedly 400 dollars printers that were being uh, counted as a million dollars each for these printers. So it was the, the army that was counting them as a million dollars each in their little report or whatever. Okay, well, we issued them 15 printers at a million dollars each, so $15 million in printers when the reality was they were only $400 each. And what I'm trying to figure out here, and you know, I'm not a scam artist, so I'm not immediately seeing uh, the ways this can be taken advantage of, is like, who is benefiting from this? I mean, obviously, the contractor benefits just in general because they're getting all this money, and you would think they're probably charging, if it's a $400 printer, it's probably really a $200 printer or whatever, mm-hmm. and so the, you know, the printer company's probably making bank on this. But the contractor themselves, they're saying they're not getting what they were expecting. They were told, the military said, oh, we gave you $157 million worth of equipment. The contractor says, no, it was $108 million worth of equipment here's the numbers we ran them and then they compared the numbers and the uh, it was discovered that the army had screwed up these numbers 
So if the Army says, well, we're giving you $157 million worth of equipment, but there's only 100 and something million there, 108 million, who benefits? Is there something going on there? Is there somebody like in the Army who's, you know, they're writing down a million dollars on this and that somehow increases a budget somewhere or that's where I'm like missing this. So if if this is shouting out to you, if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh yeah, that's obviously here's who's benefiting. Maybe you've been in the military and, Mm -hmm. and you know something about how this can benefit whoever it is that's writing up these reports or their buddies. Like the, on its face, this is just a story about incompetence. Like we, if we just walk away from it and that's the end of this, well, that's, that's fine. Okay. The army screwed up. They called, uh, printers, million-dollar printers, but it wasn't just the printers. It was all kinds of items on this, uh, you know, this inventory that was completely mispriced and way overpriced. Mm-hmm. So, is it just total incompetence that we're talking about here, or is there something else afoot? Is something being done here to cover up some sort of malfeasance or theft or shuffling product to somebody's buddy? Or whatever, that's what's just not clear to me. And I don't know if you're seeing anything here either. All I can tell you, regardless of who's benefiting, we know who's losing out. That's a good point. You mean the <laughs> everyone, American people? Yeah, everyone who pays taxes. So Okay, and actually we didn't get to the last uh, paragraph here. It does say it's not clear if there's any actual fraud at play in Kuwait. Other than the missing printer, the report doesn't allege the contractor did anything wrong. Indeed, it seems like the the military was the one mispricing Mm -hmm. these things but auditors had no way to verify that information during the life of the contract the contractor reported over 13 million dollars in lost equipment without proper record keeping there's no way for the army to determine whether that equipment was truly missing or whether it was like the printer creatively misplaced julian assange of course as we know is probably one of the uh, probably the biggest press hero if you will of the last decade yeah you know he's uh, maybe more than the last decade but certainly within the last 10 years uh he has had his freedom stripped from him for simply reporting the truth once again speaking of the military it was julian assange through his wikileaks then obviously there's more than julian assange involved in wikileaks i don't mean to take anything away from any of the other volunteers or staff or whoever's involved there but of course if you're involved with wikileaks you probably aren't publishing it you know publicly about Mm -hmm. what your involvement is for good reason because they're going to take you and put you in a prison cell and try to destroy your life for the rest of your life, which is what they're doing right now to Julian Assange for revealing the truth or just some of the truth about what the U.S. military was doing in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And you can, you're pretty concerned with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they're, what they're really doing is making an example, I feel. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they're very, they've already punished him. So at this point, it's just about, you know sending a message to everybody else who would ever think about doing something like this. Cause like you said, he's not even the guy who, you know, found the information. He's the guy who received the information and then sure. published it. Um, and if that is punishable under the espionage act, then which is know, what they want to charge yeah. him with. If they can get him extradited from yep. the UK where he's currently sitting in a maximum security prison where he's been there for, I don't know how many years now, at least four years, I think. He's yeah, been there for, for quite a few years. Prior to that, he was in the Ecuadorian embassy in the UK for most of the last decade, yeah. six years, I think. Yep. And so he's basically been in jail the whole time because you don't want to be in the Ecuadorian embassy. That's no fun. He couldn't leave the place or anything like that. So right. he's, he was entrapped there. 
and uh, and now their their high court, I believe, is the term, has ruled that he must be extradited. I was looking for an excuse actually to uh, to share this from Stella Morris. That is Julian Assange's wife, and she wrote this piece for the Independent in the UK. Uh, she says uh, last Friday, so it was a few weeks, several weeks old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Home Secretary Priti Patel gave her approval for the UK to send my husband Julian Assange to the country that plotted his assassination. Julian remains imprisoned in Belmarsh after more than three years at the behest of U.S. prosecutors. He faces a prison sentence of up to 175 years for arguably the most celebrated publications in the history of journalism. And we're talking about revealing the truth about what the U.S. military was doing in the Middle East. Patel's decision to extradite Julian has sent shockwaves across the journalism community. The Home Secretary flouted calls from representatives of the Council of Europe, the OSCE, almost 2,000 journalists, and 300 doctors for the extradition to be halted. When Julian calls around the children's bedtime, they talk over each other boisterously. The call only lasts 10 minutes, so when it was ended abruptly the other night, Max, who is three, asked tearfully if it was because he'd been naughty. I absentmindedly said it wasn't his fault, but Mike Pompeo's... Five-year-old Gabriel asked, who is Mike Pompeo? Mike Pompeo had been on my mind because while the Home Secretary in the country, or in this country, was busy signaling Julian's, sorry, signing Julian's extradition order, in Spain, a high court judge was summoning Pompeo for questioning regarding his role as director of the CIA in their reported plots to murder my husband. While at the helm of the CIA, President Trump's most loyal supporter reportedly asked his agents while preparing with prepare tasked his agents with preparing sketches and options for the assassination of their father. The citation for Pompeo to appear before the Spanish judge comes out of an investigation into illicit spying of Julian and his lawyers through a company registered in Spain. Spanish police seized large amounts of electronic data and insiders involved in carrying out the clandestine operations testified that they acted on instruction of the CIA. They had discussed abducting and poisoning Julian. Gabriel was six months old at the time and had been a target, too. One witness was instructed to obtain DNA swabs from a soiled nappy in order to establish that Julian was his father. Another admitted to planting hidden microphones under the fire extinguishers to tap legally privileged meetings between Julian and his lawyers. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.